Hi, this is Rob Carmichael with Mainly Matters, and today I'm joined by Mark Cross, currently a consultant with Brinstow Consulting and uh, a seasoned global leader with experience leading large complex businesses in North America, Europe, Latin America, and Asia. And Mark is, uh, among his many uh, credentials, he's a University of Maine graduate and a fellow Bucksport High School alum, as I am for our Maine listeners. Uh, Welcome to Mainly Matters, Mark. Yeah, hey, thanks, Rob. Glad to be here. Really happy that you're here. Uh, For our listeners, Mark is living right now in Richmond, Virginia, but uh, based on uh, his his resume and a little bit of the history that I gave you, he certainly is is lived in a variety of places. Maybe he'll touch on that a little bit. But uh, Mark, would you just give a little bit of a, a background of your uh, your resume and your history in the business world up to the present? Yeah. Um, so I'm a chemical engineer from the University of Maine. Uh, had a very Great experience at the University of Maine. I still work very closely with the university in a variety of ways. And uh, um, after that, I I headed out uh, to work for the first of uh, three Fortune 500 type companies. One was Kimberly Clark. One is uh, uh, a sister company of SC Johnson called uh, Johnson Diversity. And most recently, Mead West Vaco, which is now part of, uh, of, of West Rock. And uh, I was very fortunate. I was able to work uh, globally, um, you know, kind of before it was fashionable. And uh, I've had a really good run in the corporate world and uh, now doing corporate board advisory. I'm doing uh, consulting, change management consulting, and a little bit of academic work through the University of Richmond. And you've, uh, along the way, you managed to to get your uh, MBA from Harvard Business School at some point. I think that was in the mid-80s, wasn't it? Yeah, 1988, uh, Kimberly Clark actually sponsored me to go to Harvard Business School and, you know, one of the great experiences of my life. And, and Mead uh, West Vaco, is, it's a paper products company, big paper products company. What did you do specifically uh, in, in your, your last couple of jobs with Mead? So I was a senior vice president, um, and in a lot of companies, it would be called group president. I had five of their businesses reporting to me in the in the packaging arena. It was very global, took me to Europe. I was actually the top executive responsible for Europe and uh, also took me into Latin America and, uh, and into Asia. But I ran their global beverage business, beauty and personal care, uh, and several other businesses. I was uh, really surprised when when I, we were down visiting one time and we saw all the products uh, that Mead uh, West Vaco uh, is responsible for. It was surprising. <laughs> I think a lot of people might be surprised if they're not familiar with that company. Yeah, we essentially invented the uh, the, 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 the the six pack packaging, uh, or one of our predecessor companies invented six pack packaging, and it evolved into a multi billion dollar. Uh, paper packaging kind of empire, all the multi-pack packaging that you see, uh, whether it's for Anheuser-Busch or Coca-Cola or Pepsi, there's about a 50% chance that was that was our stuff. So clearly uh, you've had uh, significant experience and uh, at this level, uh, an executive level in this kind of a business, Fortune 500 company. And as you said, you're now in the consulting role. And today I want to talk a little bit about uh, 
uh, talk about strategy, talk about change management. Uh, it's, a, it's a rapidly changing global world, and that's certainly an important part of uh, a skill set for executives and, and leaders at all levels. Uh, I want to talk about personal branding. I know you've uh, done a lot of uh, a lot of consulting in that area and have expertise in that area. Uh, but first, I want to I, I know the story, and I think it's a great story because uh, uh, I've heard you tell it, and I've heard you at, at different speaking engagements talk about uh, uh, a time in your life, one week in your life that really sort of set the stage for your career. Uh, and and it, it speaks to, uh, I think, what a lot of us know, and you can touch on this as well, uh, about taking advantage of opportunities. Yeah, Rob. Uh, so I was a senior at the University of Maine and had several job offers on the uh, East Coast. And uh, for Christmas vacation, I went out to California where my parents were, were living. And in those days... California was pretty much the other side of the universe. So uh, I'd pretty much never been on an airplane before. Flew out to California. And in one week, I was on a TV game show called Match Game uh, and won $10,600, which uh, $10,600 is a lot of money today. But in 1979, that was a huge amount of money. And uh, the day I tried out for Match Game, auditioned for, for Match Game, my mom got tickets to a daytime talk show called the Mike Douglas show. You could think of the Ellen show today. And uh, I was pulled from the audience to be in a skit with Don Rickles and Tom Lasorda, then the manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers. And uh, that same day I got to hang out backstage with Frank Abagnale, the uh, real life inspiration behind the Leonardo DiCaprio character, uh, Catch Me If You Can. In, in Catch Me If You Can. And uh, this guy loved telling his story. And this was before the book, before the movie, before the internet. So uh, I had never heard this story before. And if, for those that aren't familiar with the story, basically he impersonated a, uh, uh, an airline pilot, uh, assistant state attorney general, a doctor and a college professor and wrote $2 million worth of bad checks in the 1960s. And uh, just a fascinating, fascinating story. But that wasn't the most exciting thing that happened that week. Uh, that week, uh, kind of a offhand meeting between one of my father's tennis buddies and me uh, led to, wasn't even an interview, it was a discussion. Um, and in that discussion, we basically agreed uh, that I would... Uh, put myself on a path to uh, work for Kimberly Clark. So uh, I ended up just through ha happenstance connecting with a guy that offered me a job that gave me a 24-year career with Kimberly Clark, set me up for living and working in Europe, set me up for meeting my wife, set me up for going to Harvard Business School, set me up for incredible training development and, and, and leadership opportunities. And uh, so when I talk to students, I talk about Jim Collins' line, and I've had the opportunity to meet Jim Collins a few times. He's the author of Good to Great, and he talks about how successful people maximize the opportunity afforded by good luck and minimize the impact of bad luck. And he's got great examples. He, he actually uses the, the quest for the South Pole and, and uh, how Amundsen and, and – uh, and uh, Scott 
vied out and 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 they both had their shares of good luck and bad luck which essentially was the weather but the way that Amundsen the successful one dealt with the good and bad luck ended up kind of defining his success and the way Scott dealt with it actually ended up to with with his demise and the demise of his crew so uh um, so successful people maximize the opportunity afforded by good luck and minimize the impact of bad luck. And I think that that's been certainly true in my career. And that's a, that's a great lesson for not only young leaders, uh, new into the workforce, uh, even the leaders that have been, been in, uh, around seasoned leaders. But I think, and I, I hope some of these people are listening uh, to these podcasts, will eventually listen to them, but for people in high school and college, those aspirations, and I know you've done some work with aspirations with young people. What are some of the other other uh, tips, if you will, that uh, you think are really important uh, along those same lines as taking advantage of opportunities? Well, I tell people that opportunity can knock at any time, and it often happens after you've been knocked down. Uh, the great example I use of that is is uh, I got uh, passed over for the Huggies marketing director job, which was at the time was the big, probably still is, the biggest marketing director job in Kimberly Clark. And, uh, you know, I was really feeling sorry for myself. And... Uh, what happened next was the guy that eventually became the CEO of Kimberly Clark tapped me for a special project. I was the first full-time person on the project. Turned out to be a much more career-broadening experience for me, um, and it led to my getting the uh, president of uh, Kimberly Clark Professional, which was their largest B2B um, business-to-business um, division. So. Um, what what seemed like it was going to be my worst day ended up being my best day because it uh, um, opportunity knocked uh, down the line. Another example like that, Rob, is uh, one time I was literally the last guy in the in in the plant on a on a Friday afternoon, and some executive from uh, back at headquarters was out on vacation and wanted a tour of the plant, and uh, so I got I got the opportunity to take this executive through the plant and uh, I guess demonstrated enough insight and enthusiasm that uh, this person offered me a bigger job uh, probably within three months and uh, it was something you know I didn't count on I wasn't expecting I didn't prepare for so you never know when those interactions are going to take place or those opportunities take place that truly may change the course of your life. And uh, the more you have your antennas up for those kinds of things, uh, I think the better off you'll be uh, in the long term. And you, you talk a lot about it. And actually you, you model uh, the concept that uh, network when you do not have to, I mean, I, I don't think I've met anyone who's a better networker than you. And, but it's really, really important. And it, it, it sounds to me like it's been a big part of your success uh, to this point. Yeah, uh, and that's another one. Thanks, Rob. I, 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 I do talk about networking. I talk about networking when you don't have to. I, I, I tell my students the best mode to be in is networking when you don't have to. So there's two types of network ne- networking. There's the I need a job Monday morning type of networking, and you never want to be in that mode. Um, the mode you want to be in is in the connecting where 
you and I talk about what you're up to. And, and, and when we start out, we don't even know who's helping whom. Uh, you know, I may learn from you. You may learn from me. And the more you can put yourself in that mode of, of, of what can I learn from this person and what can I contribute to this person, the better off you're going to be. And uh, looking for those engagements that are outside of your industry, outside of your comfort zone, are really going to grow and expand people's, you know, kind of understanding of, of, of life and the, the workplace and the marketplace and those kinds of things. So, yeah, I try to put my, myself in that mode a lot. I take, I take calls. I take, I have meetings with people that I, I'm really not even sure how we're going to engage, but I do it to try to expose myself to a variety of ideas. It, I think you told me one time that uh, even though you're an engineer by trade, I, I don't remember, uh, correct me, was it that you felt more like a marketer or, for, or less like an engineer, more like a marketer? Uh, was, did I capture that right or remember that correctly? Yeah, I'm, I'm a chemical engineer that never really worked as a chemical engineer. I pretty much had business roles from day one. Now, I worked in process industries like specialty chemicals and, and paper um, but I really worked more on the business side and more on the marketing side um, than I ever did on the technical or the, the engineering side of the of the business. Yes. Yeah, but what do you say to uh, what have you said? Because you also uh, are a uh, I can't remember if you're a professor or, or adjunct professor or have been an adjunct professor uh, at uh, uh, Richmond and VCU. I think is that correct? Yeah, so um, I was executive in residence at the uh, University of Richmond. I still uh, guest lecture there and advise MBA students. I have a good relationship with Virginia Commonwealth University, VCU, as well as still the University of Maine, and particularly the chemical engineering and pulp and paper um, foundation students up there. So, yeah, I do a lot of work with uh, with students. And, and what, do you, what do you say to those that, maybe are a little bit uh, intimidated by networking, maybe lack some of the communication skills or, or haven't developed the communication skills that are, are certainly always valuable uh, in the business world and, and, and in leadership. Uh, what kind of advice do you give those young people? Well, I, I, I kind of coach my students to, to look for people that uh, are different than them, but, also would want to engage with them. So if you're a Richmond Spider, people that graduated from the University of Richmond want to talk to Richmond students. And so I encourage them to reach out. I encourage them to, to, to ask for the opportunity. You know, one of the, I, I, I tell my students, the number one rule again, what you want is to ask. So just by asking, you put yourself in a much, much better um, situation to win. And then I tell them to get past the first 30 seconds, because like any kind of first conversation, the first 30 seconds is the, is the hard thing. And once you get rolling, once you get talking, it's, it's actually very comfortable and very, very easy. And I, I, I tell them, usually they're, you know, calling me and reaching out to me. I said, you're probably nervous about this, this call, but 30 seconds in, you weren't nervous anymore. Right. And most of the time they say yes. So, so, so number one, reach out. Number one rule of getting what you want is to ask. And then uh, number two, get past that first 30 seconds and just get rolling and get people talking and you never know what you'll learn. 
and, and enthusiasm and attitude go a long ways. I know you, I know you've said that and you exhibit that, that as well uh, when you're out uh, doing any kind of network or any kind of communication. Uh, very important. Yeah, yeah positive attitude, um, you know, and you see it in every business and in every industry and, and, and people that are positive, people that have a, a, a positive outlook tend to go farther. And uh, the more you can put yourself in mode, in that mode, the more of a winner it is. So these young leaders, again, those that are already in the business world, those aspiring to be leaders in the business world, uh, are going to encounter a global uh, business world, a global economy with uh, many challenges, uh, frequently changing business world. Let's talk about strategy and your thoughts on on strategy in this uh, ever changing business climate? Yeah, so I I uh, learned something about strategy from uh, some of my work with with Meet West Vaco. So I, I went to the arguably the greatest business school in the history of business schools, Harvard Business School, and I always used to get confused by strategy and tactics and mission and vision and all the kind of corporate buzzwords. But the most important thing I ever learned about strategy was at Meet West Vaco. And we had to do this for every business that we ran. We, we, what I learned was strategy is where to play and how to win. And uh, when I talk to students about strategy, I say, if you forget everything about what I'm telling you, remember this, strategy is where to play and how to win. So the where to play are the participation choices. So what products or services am, am I going to compete in or, or, or compete with? What markets am I going to um, uh, compete in? Is it going to be healthcare? Is it going to be personal care? Is it going to be food and beverage? What geographies am I going to be local? Am I going to be regional? Am I going to be national? Am I, am I going to be global? What customers uh, what types of customers, what customer characteristics, what size of customer, uh, those are all what we call the, the participation choices. Those are the where to play decisions that any business or brand has. The how to win is what am I going to do? What is my company going to do? What is my brand going to do that differentiates it, that makes consumers or customers want to engage with that brand over all other choices. So how do we provide um, meaningful di differentiation? How do, what is our business model? Is it a service-oriented one? Um, um, are we horizontally or vertically integrated? How do we position our products, talk about our products, um, talk about our company, talk about how we can serve our customers? Those are the how-to-win types of things. So strategy is where to play and how to win. And maybe I'll say it to your, to your listeners, if you remember nothing about this, this podcast, remember strategy is where to play and how to win. Where to play and how to win. And I know you're still connected to, to Maine. You're on the, I believe you're still on the, the Pulp and Paper Foundation board. Is that correct? That is correct. That is and correct. Maybe you can talk a little bit about uh, how is Maine doing in, in where to play, how to win, and particularly in the in the paper industry in Maine. I know there are a number of paper companies that have restructured. Uh, we've got some some that are doing very well, I think, in the tissue paper industry in particular. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, the, the, the University of Maine 
uh, is when I went there, pretty much everything uh, was focused on the, the main pulp and paper uh, industry. And I'm talking about chemical engineering uh, now. And you now I was an exception. I went outside of, uh, outside of Maine for my first uh, job. And, uh, but they've done a really good job up there of attracting students from all over. Um, so really broadening their, uh, you know, kind of supply of, of students. And they've even got some uh, in-state tuition sharing uh, schemes with states as far away as California. Um, so they're getting kind of a, 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 a diversity of student that didn't exist when I went there. So that's one, th one thing they're doing. They also have a much broader engagement with the industry well beyond um, Maine. There's still a kind of a, a, a focus on, on, on Maine, but they go way, way, way beyond Maine. That's how I re-engaged with the university when I was at Mead West Vaco. So they reached out to me um, now I'm on the board, as you as you pointed out. I've I've done a lot of work with them uh, on 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 this, but they've they've really done a lot to broaden their kind of offering. They now do um, um, bio um, engineering, and 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 you know their coursework is much broader than it was when I was there. So they've done a lot of things to uh, kind of expand the offering and expand the appeal. And certainly some of the mills in Maine, uh, I know, obviously, there have been a lot of struggles. Our uh, hometown of Bucksport, uh, obviously, uh, uh, is no longer there. The mill is no longer there. But other mills have, have restructured, revised uh, their products uh, to some extent, particularly uh, uh, Sappy, I think, in, in uh, Westbrook. Uh, that, that's right. That's right. And the, the ones that are doing the best are, are, are getting out of the declining segments of paper and into the expanding segments. So the, the declining segments are publication papers and printing and things like that. And the expanding sectors are tissue and, uh, and packaging. So I was, I was very fortunate to be uh, affiliated with the expanding um, um, kind of segments of the paper industry, tissue and, uh, and packaging. And those go, I think, go back to your, your, uh, two, two, two pieces of advice, where to play and how to yeah. win. Exactly. Those were, those, those were two very, very fortunate where to play, uh, uh, choices. Well, it, it, strategy drives, uh, uh, drives change, obviously. And we are in, uh, I think many people that are in the business world or, familiar with the uh, the VUCA acronym, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity, and and all of these things in, in the global market uh, require companies, if they want to win, to continue to adapt and to be able to change. Talk a little bit about your thoughts and in, in the types of uh, uh, things you talk about when you are speaking to groups and consulting uh, on change some of the highlights for leaders uh, when they want to start a change management process. Yeah. So yeah, you mentioned uh, VUCA. That's actually an interesting uh, kind of learning for me. Uh, I actually learned that from Procter and Gamble. Procter and Gamble was a competitor of, competitor of mine at times and a customer of mine at other times in my career. And the first time I ever heard about VUCA was, uh, was, was from them. And they talked about, that, that the future is volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. 
And I don't know how they do it, but they actually test their employees um, to see if they can fit into that model and into that world. And so, um, so when we work with leaders, we try to get people in a volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous world to, to, to try to forecast their future and the, the, the market that they, they the markets that they compete in, the businesses that they compete in. We get them to, as Ram Sharan would say, try to look around corners. What is the what are the macroeconomics three to five years going to be out, going to look like? What is your your business going to look like three to five years out? What is the competitive landscape going to look like three to five years out? What is the supply situation going to look like three to five years out? And we get them to, to, to first think about that and work on that. And then we, we, we look at them and we work with them to say, okay, now how is that going to inform what do you do what you do differently over the next three to five years than what you did over the prior three to five years? And so uh, so getting executives to look forward and not do the same old thing over and over again is a big part of what we do. And then we help them accelerate that change. What have you found in your experience, either as an executive or in your consulting world, are the biggest obstacles to organizational change? Is it is it top leadership? Is it the uh, the masses, uh, the employees? Uh, is it a little of both? What? One of, one of the biggest things that I, I've seen, I got an opportunity to work with a, a household name uh, kind of company when it comes to change, one of the largest companies in America. And uh, it was very clear that this was a company that needed to change. And 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 I actually talked to a number of, of executives inside this company. And what I found was that they all acknowledged the need for change. They all acknowledged that what they had done in the past was not going to work in the future. They all understood that dramatic different ways of operating were going to be required. The issue was none of them would admit that they had to change. It was always those other guys. And uh, so, so when we work with leaders, we look them in the eye and we say, change starts with you. Unless you are willing to stand up in front of your people and say, I will change, we will change, it doesn't happen. And so uh, so Brimstone has a really strong kind of philosophy. We can work with any business, we can work with any industry, but we can't work with, 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 with any leader. Um, the leader has to recognize that change is required and it starts with them. And it's what I've experienced in my own, uh, my own experience with change is that uh, once you, you have a clear, a clear vision, uh, the leaders are articulating the vision. It's, it's critical that they include the, the stakeholders, the champions you know, in developing that and helping to develop uh, the the reason for change and understanding the reason for change and championing that through the organization, because if people don't understand why this change is going to be better than the status quo, then they're not going to buy into it. Yeah, you got to paint that compelling story as to why change w w will be better in the end. Yeah, that's an absolutely great point, Rob. So. 
the young people today are going to have to be flexible, adaptable, understand uh, strategy, understand change. When you're talking to, again, the people that you talk to in consulting and in the colleges and universities, you also have a personal branding uh, focus as well. You talk about your your philosophy on personal brands and how important that is to becoming successful. Yeah, so so um, I get asked on campuses particularly to talk about personal branding, and much like uh, I, I talked about how to win for a brand or a company, I think differentiation is the most important word in personal branding. So general skills are great. You know, everybody has to be able to use all the modern tools. Everybody has to, you know, have an economics background in business. Everybody has to have a marketing background in business. General skills are great. But what can I do to differentiate myself versus all others? And, you know, for three different companies, I was the Europe guy. Even if I didn't live in Europe, I was the Europe guy because I had so much experience in Europe. When I was um, starting out in Fullerton, California, I knew the union contract better than anybody in that paper mill. And that helped me, you know, kind of develop these differentiated kind of skills and responsibilities and things that I could be known for. Uh, So differentiation from a personal branding is just as important as it is on a, uh, on, on, on a, on a brand like Kleenex or Hubby's. Um, you got to be consistent. Um, so be the same person in front of your boss as you are in front of your people, as you are in front of your peers, be consistent, do the, you know, you know, don't stand for one thing one day and, 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 and something else another day. Pass the front front page of the newspaper test. If I wrote this down or or it was printed on the fr- front page of the newspaper, uh, would I be proud of it? So make sure everything you do passes the front page of the newspaper test. You know, I tell my students that LinkedIn and online presence matter uh, right now, and uh, and so make sure that they, the brand they want to project is projected in terms of their online. Um, um, social media presence. And, uh, you know, finally, from a personal branding perspective, I tell people to to, to network. Uh, there's that word again, you know, connect, make sure people know who they are, make sure they know what you're interested in. Uh, make sure, you know, you, you, you don't ever want to be in that situation where you're hustling for the next job when you're out of a, a, a work. You want to do it on a continuous basis. You want to connect with people that uh, may give you that next opportunity. So uh, I think my, my kids got very tired early on when I kept mentioning the V word, V is in uh, vision, because I kept telling them as they were growing up, you, you've got to have a vision. And then the next phase, it was networking. <laughs> you've got to become a great networker. Most people don't get their jobs from the classifieds, at least the job that they want. Right. But that vision, Rob, is, is an important one. And, and I, wish I, I wish I'd come and let that. But that's an important one because you want to be clear on where you want to go. And that will help define you know, who you talk to, um, um, and, 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 and what you look for. Don't just let 
life or don't just let business happen to you. Make sure you're clear on where you want to go. So that's a that's a good one. It, it, what is the old saying? If you if you don't have a vision, any road will get you there. Uh, you know, exactly. It, it one of the things in the old strategic planning days we used to do it was it always made sense to me when. Someone said, uh, or you develop your vision, the, the ideal future state, you develop uh, a clear understanding of where you are, which is really your mission. This is where we are right now. And the gap between where you are and your vision sort of sets your strategy, goals, and objectives. And and right around that, wrapped around that, are your values, and your values kind of uh, tell you the rightness of your vision, kind of keep you at a you know, they're, they're the boundaries of how you operate day to day to reach a vision. That always made sense to me. I don't yeah. know if you've experienced it that way or it's, uh, uh, you know, gone in a different direction, but I, th- I think it's really important. Now I know Mark Cross has a, has a mini business plan that you've shared. Uh, are you willing to talk a little bit to our listeners about the Mark Cross mini business plan? Yeah. So I, I actually have a lot of students and uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of on- entrepreneurs come see me about um, about uh, ideas, and sometimes they're good ideas. But it's it's I have to coach them on what role are they going to play, what are they actually going to do, how are they going to monetize it, things like that. Um, so what I when people come to see me, I actually have this uh, oftentimes written out for them. What's the big idea? What's the business model? How do, how do you make money? How does how do your customers make money at it? I, I ask them, what's the strategy? Where are you going to play? How are you going to win? And maybe most importantly, I ask them, how are you going to be differentiated? What are you going to do that's different than anything else um, um, that's ever been done? And uh, um, and then and then. When I do that, I also talk to them about when successful, how are you going to protect it? Are there, uh, is there intellectual property, um, patent rights that you can exhibit? Um, how do you ensure that you can win in the long term? How do you ensure that you can uh, stay differentiated long term? And I've got uh, um, you know, some of the people that I've, I've advised, uh, one of them was the the first in, in uh, certainly in our region in cold brew coffee. And uh, um, he successfully exited that business to a, a much larger, um, a, a, a much larger, a much, much larger operation. I advised and invested in one of the, uh, a very strong growing ed tech platform. I asked all these questions of them, but uh yeah, I work with them on those those questions: where to play, how to win, what's the big idea, how do you make money, how do your customers make money, or 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 or, or, or win, and how do you stay differentiated long term? And yeah, I, I do think that that differentiation theme is you know there's it's probably meaningful dif- differentiating di- differentiation or relevant differentiation is probably the most important concept. In, in, in marketing. And I, I, Al Reese, the famous author of 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing, talks about owning a word in the prospect's mind as a, as a form of differentiation. So Volvo owns the word safety and everything they do revolves around safety. 
um, Apple in many ways owns the word design or in the other ways they own the word um, simplicity. Olay owns the word ageless. Um, uh, FedEx for many years owned the word overnight. So how do you create, you know, kind of that different, different that degree of differentiation with what you're trying to do? It, it, what it, the the one of the twenty two laws of marketing is better to be first than it is to be better. I know you and I have talked about that one of the numerous examples that go with that. Yeah, the the it's better to be first than it is to be better is a very interesting concept because it sounds counterintuitive. And, and you know, when I'm in front of students, I ask them who is the first person to fly across the Atlantic on a uh, solo on an airplane, and uh, the answer is Charles Lindbergh. And then you say, who was second? And the answer is nobody knows. <laughs> um, uh, um, who was the first female? Amelia Earhart. If you can't be first in, in, in a category, creating new category to be first in. So then I go in and I, I segment the beer market with them. I, I, I say, uh, you know, what's the first nationally distributed beer brand in the United States? And the answer is, Anheuser-Busch's Budweiser. What was the first European import? Heineken. What was the first Mexican import? Best I can tell, it was Grupo Modelo. Uh, what was the first craft beer to ch- attain national distribution? Boston beer. And then you go back all these years later and you say, what's the number one full-octane, non-light beer, uh, beer brand? It's still Budweiser, whatever it is, 140 years later. <laughs> Heineken is still the number one European import. Grupo Modelo, with now with Corona and Modelo, is the number one Mexican importer. The number one craft beer, depending on what you use, is either Blue Moon or Sam Adams. So if you take Grupo Modelo, Sam Adams, Heineken, Budweiser, Anheuser-Busch, and you say of all the 10,000 brands of beer out there, are they the best in each one of those categories? And it would be an unbelievable, unbelievable fluke of nature if they actually were. But they were first to launch, and, uh, and, and in most cases, they're the most successful. The uh, Pinnacle Vodka guy, he was the first guy to introduce whipped vodka. Uh, and the Pinnacle brand whipped vodka, even though there's probably a hundred brands of whipped vodka now, is still the number one whipped vodka brand. You know, Kleenex was the first uh, facial tissue. Pampers was the first disposable diaper. It's just amazing the history of being first and building on that platform. And it, and it makes your point of differentiation, differentiation, uh, all that uh, more powerful. When you share those stories, Mark, it, it's we're getting close to uh, this. The, I could go on for for hours with you. There's a lot to to talk about, and hopefully, we can do a, another segment at some point. I want to finish with uh, a, a, something you had thrown out and ask you this: What would you tell your 22 year old self today? The ne- yeah, Netflix question of the day. Yeah, I got the, I got the uh, opportunity to to meet Mark Randolph, the uh, founder of Netflix, and he was asked that question at a uh, at a University of Richmond uh, kind of meet and greet. And uh, so I, I actually thought about that, and 
Yeah, there's 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 a couple of things that I would I would go back with. Uh, one is to focus on the three or five things that really matter. So uh, I work with executives all the time, and you look at how they spend their time, and it's on everything but what they're ultimately going to be measured on at the end of the end of the year. So Ram Sharan, the famous executive coach and, 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 and author worked with me on my calendar. And he said, you know, what are the three or five most important things, Mark, um, that you got to accomplish this year? We talked about them. And then he had me go back uh, on my calendar and say, is my calendar reflecting those priorities? Are there meetings that I could shorten, postpone, eliminate, or delegate, and uh, use that to to help me focus where I spent my time going forward? So focus on the three to five things that uh, really matter. I would <laughs> I would never go into a meeting without uh, a drippy. What is my goal? What are, what is my role in this meeting? What is the process or agenda and, and what are the ground rules or interpersonal um, aspects of how we're going to work together? And then um, I would go back uh, to my 22-year-old self with my philosophy of the number one rule of getting what you want is to ask. Um, it, just asking doesn't mean you get something, but uh, 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 and it doesn't mean you'll get it right away. But you put yourself in a much better position to win. If you ask, and maybe I'll, I'll close with this, this story, Rob, which is uh, when I, I gotten out of business school, I was about a uh, couple of years out of business school, and I went to see the guy that was two levels above me and said, Mr. Newby, this guy ended up being an unbelievable mentor to me. But uh, um, I went up to him and said, Mr. Newby, I said, I want you to know I really want to live and work in Europe. And he said to me, he says, well, Mark, that's really good to know, but we really don't move people at your level. You're really like 10 years away from being in a position to do that. So I go back to my office and I'm thinking to myself, wow, that's not what I wanted to hear. And uh, and uh, approximately a month later, the European business asked for somebody at my level, product, um, uh, product manager. They wanted somebody to come over and work with them um, at a more lower level than what Tom Newby had told me they typically transferred people at. And so I didn't even have to interview for the job. <laughs> I, I was the only person that had ever asked. And so <laughs> I immediately got the job and uh, led, led to, you know, four years in, in, in Europe the first time and, and a couple more later on. And uh, it was just an incredible kind of jumpstart for my career and, uh, and, and just an incredible opportunity. So number one rule of getting what you want is to ask. Uh, that's, that's probably the, the easiest piece of advice that uh, I think for young people, uh, they really, really need to listen to. And that's, that's to ask, because I think so many of them are too shy, too intimidated, but if they realize that they're not going to get it unless they ask, it certainly puts a different perspective on it. Mark, uh, thanks so much. I uh, appreciate you taking the time today. You've had a tremendous career and it, that continues. And I look forward to another session. Maybe we can dig deeper into the marketing aspect of things. And uh, I look forward to talking with you in the future. Thanks, Rob. This was fun. 
And this has been Rob Carmichael with Mainly Matters. I look forward to you joining us uh, in the future for another podcast coming up soon.